0: Hello and welcome to Cannon and Got My name is Michael and I'm a Spurs fan.
1: And I'm Jason and I'm an Arsenal fan.
0: And we are about two weeks away from the start of the uh, 2022-23 Premier League season. Uh, Spurs and Arsenal have probably been two of the busiest, if not the busiest clubs in the transfer window so far. Mm. Um, Jason, how are you feeling as we approach the start of the season? Obviously, it was quite a uh embarrassing some would say humiliating end to the season for Arsenal last season capitulating in the top four but I feel like I get the impression there's a lot of positivity around the club so how do you feel about the business you've done this summer and I guess what are your your hopes your dreams your expectations going into the new season
1: uh well first off welcome back I suppose another season you know we start I started with Unai. you started with Pochettino we're now with best young manager Arteta and you're with Dinosaur Conte so it's uh same old trends, really. Um, and obviously, Spurs fans would lead a podcast at a new season with historical claims. Let's forget that end of the season, whatnot with Arsenal. Let's look at it holistically, and we'll we'll be able to reflect next week or or the week after when the all or nothing season comes in, and we see a real story narrative arc of how the culture of the club was turned around by our saviour, Mikel Arteta. How the bad eggs were replaced with the good eggs. How the young became the mature. And as you can hear from my voice, I'm excited. I think it was very obvious where we were lacking um, last year. We there were there were two. Real, I mean there were there are a few issues. Um, Mikel Arteta made some very stubborn decisions at times throughout the season in terms of personnel. But I believe that was to an extent due to the options. And we now have strength and depth. You know, our left back situation, we don't need to put gran Shaka then uh, anymore because he's gone and signed a proper left back, a proper, proper world class winning left back. We don't need to put another Cedric in there because we now have Saliba who can slot in the middle so Ben White can play in right back where he's very, very good. We now don't have to rely on a young kid in Eddie Nketiah to be the main striker because we have Gabriel Jesus, a Premier League winner, a proven Brazilian striker. So it's looking very good. I think I think as a window so far, because I pay a lot of attention to transfers, I think this kind of self-improvement of the team is really important and complementing the young players coming through with, with established, experienced players. And I think we've done a really good job. I think we can start the season as is. I would love at least one more in someone like Tillemans. I would extremely like two more. Personally, I would like another striker for depth, Um, because if Gabriel Jesus pulls up with his hamstring and Eddie and Ketty are relying on him and there's there's no one else really, I mean, you can play a Martinelli up front, for example, or play a false nine, but kind of back at square one, I think what's more likely to happen is this kind of inverted winger or a winger who can score goals and you have a bit of versatility there. Um, I think versatility, versatility is the key and... Pep seems to love it. Arteta's loved it. But we've tried it, but we haven't really had quality versatility. Because let's be honest, these guys are all footballers. So you'd expect a, a defensive midfielder to kind of be able to slot into centre-back. You'd expect a striker to kind of be able to, you know, a fast striker to go, go on the wing and and a winger to kind of be able to um, beat his man and, and stay up front. But not always, they don't always do it to a quality extent. They don't always have that, that ability to to do it almost as if it was their their day job as such so I think I'm really happy to have that 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 squad depth and versatility with quality in terms of hopes for the new season I'm I'm nervous because I think that Palace game away on a Friday night you know second year in a row we've had that kind of um structure I think it's just a banana skin and in a way I don't obviously I don't want to lose or draw but it wouldn't surprise me and I think it could take the pressure off. So I'm already caveating now, don't be surprised based on our good season, pre-season um, for that to happen. And a little bit of a hangover from, from the year before. And you know that there'll be something in all or nothing that comes out the day before the season, We say some silly claim and then it will come back to bias us as a meme the next day. But I'm optimistic. I think I, I still, obviously we didn't get top four and what happened happened. I think that is now the minimum. The minimum aim is to get into the Champions League now. I think, as you're right, you've said it. Arteta has had his time, brought in a lot of players, spent a lot of money, spent a lot of time on the pitch. There's transitional changes in the Liverpool team, Chelsea, United, um, Spurs to an extent. You know, they're throwing all their money at average players. So, apart from City, I think it's all up for grabs. So, I want top four or Europa League win to get into the Champions League. That is the aim. Anything other than that, bar any very specific contextual points. So if I don't know, you lose but all your centre backs and your strikers by injury, you know, that's that's slightly different. But if there's silly tactical mistakes and silly mistakes and and not enough ruthless culture that we need. Then Arteta's job will be on the line, I think. But hopefully it just goes well. I think it's not about necessarily um, coming out of blocks well because we don't want to burn ourselves out, especially with the World Cup coming up as well um, because we do seem to have a lot of international players. I think we obviously you don't want to have what happened last year. We lost nine points on the spin and that was basically it was almost the season over and we, we managed to pull it back. So... Slow and steady, get points on the board, don't concede goals, score goals, that's football, very easy. Um, I'm quietly optimistic. I think we've got a chance and it seems like we're playing together, but it's kind of, for me, framing it now, it is a bit of a last chance saloon for this manager with this group of players. But I think with the group of players, bar a couple of them from the old hangover days um, of Emery and Avenger, I think uh, I think they could be around for a while. I'm uh, I'm happy. I'm excited. And how about you with uh, Spurs? Is uh, typical preseason um, lifting trophies that no one cares about. Um, manager making all the wrong signs. Um, his, uh, his comments on Jed Spence were fantastic, saying how the club wanted him for the future. He looks good, I suppose. Um, nice and encouraging. But yeah. A new season and same old me um the harry kane hater who uh will be saying guten, guten tag very soon as well um i'll pass it on to you because i've uh I've taken out so much airtime from my uh my passion for the arsenal again Whew, i don't know i don't know where to start there's uh <laughs>
0: there's so much to to pick up on there um well i guess to to speak, you know, you, you spoke about how you feel about Arsenal and I guess to speak about how I'm, I'm feeling about Tottenham, I think on paper and obviously football isn't played on on paper, but uh, on paper, I feel like this has been one of the best transfer windows the club has had in my time as a supporter. And look, at the end of the day, you can't really judge a transfer window properly until at least a year, if not two years afterwards, because only then do you really know how well players have settled and how well. They did. But I guess I mean more in terms of the effectiveness with which we've operated. So who knows at this point how well any of these players will do. But in terms of getting the business done and getting it done early, I mean, let's not forget Spurs were often, you know, if we signed anyone at all, we would uh, sign players right at the end of deadline day. Every deal would be a saga. And as Danny Rose famously said, we'd sign players you have to Google. Whereas this summer, none of that's been the case. We've been bringing in ready-made, proven Premier League players, getting it done early, getting them in before pre-season. Um, and it's just been such a sea change from the way we've done business in in the past, what always used to frustrate Spurs fans, what rival fans always used to mock us for, criticise us for. And I think that all comes from Conte, and it all comes from having the Champions League football, which I don't think you can under, underestimate in terms of the the pulling power and just... Yeah, you know, having what well, we had five signings in before we even went on our preseason tour, which is kind of unprecedented for for Spurs. So it's been great to see Conte getting backed in that way, seeing us go about our, our business as ruthlessly and efficiently as we have, addressing those areas of weakness, but also strengthening in, in areas where we were already strong. I mean, previously, Spurs would have never spent big money on a player like Richarlison when we already had Kane Son and Kulisewski, but that's showing that, you know, we're not resting on our laurels. We're doing what clubs like Liverpool do, where they go out and sign a Jota and a Diaz when they've already got Saleh Mane and and, and Firmino. And I think what's been good as well is it's been balanced business in terms of, yes, we're buying certain players for the here and now, but also with an eye on the future. And that's not just with players like Jed Spence, but also Richarlison and Basuma as well, who are proven ready-made Premier League players you can come in and hit the ground running, but who are also both 25 years old. You know, you could say they haven't even reached their peak yet, still have many years ahead of them then you have more obvious kind of projects for the future like Jed Spence who between him and Sessignon that could be the fullback position sorted out you know for the next 10 years they could be the next Rosen Walker potentially and just to pick up on those uh, mm. Antonio Conte Spence comments because I knew you'd uh, I knew you'd pick <laughs> up on that um, I think like a lot of what Antonio Conte says uh, that's been deliberately overblown by people kind of looking to cause trouble I think what he said was Kind of common sense and what you expect obviously we always know you know that's why clubs have scouting departments and and directors of football the manager doesn't always it's you know obviously there's some signings where it's clear okay the manager's asked this player and then as happens all the time and as you kind of want and expect to happen the club will say go to the manager and say we found this player we like look of him what do you think and he can either say yes or no the fact that he said yeah bring him in and he said i think he can be a good and important player for us is Vote of confidence in Spence. It's not like he said, Oh, yeah, the club forced him on me and I didn't want him. He said, The club approached me with this player, as you expect a club to do with their managers, rather than it all be on the manager to scout and find players and ask me, Do you want him or not? It's not like he said, Oh, the club came to me and said, You must have this player. And I said, No. So I think nothing wrong with what Conte said about Spence. And also, maybe there is part of it as well where he's saying to Spence, Look, you know, you need to come in and earn your place in the team. You can have players young players sign for big clubs and think they've made it and maybe if he maybe there's a part of it too where he's saying look you've got to come in and, and earn your spot and you know maybe just spence will respond to that well and and be better as a result of it so i've got no problems with that and i think the business we've done this summer has been quite exciting and um i think it's uh we'll see what happens i mean any team that's deemed to have quote unquote won the transfer window and I'm not saying necessarily that we have but any team that's ever said to have done that often then doesn't end up doing well so obviously these transfers could all turn out not to have worked but I think just the fact that we've shown this this ambition and that we've we've changed the way we do things is um, exciting going into the new season Um, but to to come back on I guess uh, evaluating these signings and judging these signings You were talking about Gabriel Jesus and and talking about being this proven player, Brazilian striker. I think Richarlison actually starts ahead of him for Brazil. But does it not worry you that you still won't have enough goals in the side? I mean, he only scored eight goals last season playing for Manchester City when he has the likes of Kevin De Bruyne supplying him. Admittedly, he'll probably play more at Arsenal than he does at City and maybe being the main man will kind of bring you confidence. And maybe he'll score more goals off the back of that. But he's never really been... The sort of prolific out and out goal scorer, and I remember you saying, you know, you needed the bang bang striker, and I just wondered, do you yeah. think Jesus is the profile of player that you need to really
1: take that next step? No, you do make a fair point there. Um, I I kind of changed my mind. It's a bit of uh, reframing history here because actually last year when we were at our best of the season. Lacazette was up front, and he wasn't scoring goals, but he was bringing other players into into play. He, was, he wasn't he was the main bang-bang striker. So I suppose, I don't quite know what they're trying to do with Jesus, but from the looks of what he's doing in pre-season, we're playing as if he is a bang-bang striker, and he has been banging them in. So I don't know whether Arteta thought, you know what, he has all the attributes, and then this team will get the chances, because, you know, there's nothing wrong with changing players positions listen gareth bale was a left back so not that he's going to be the new gareth bale but you understand my point i hope um i wonder whether Arteta's is trying to recreate that that you essentially you don't need a bang bang striker you can bring other midfielders and tricky skillful players in so you have a collective forward unit that are scoring goals and that was that was really what we had last year with um Saka for sure, Odegaard chipped in, um, ESR and Marcinelli as well, did a good job, and Ketty obviously as well. Um, so I feel like that's what he's going in for. So I'm not I'm not too worried of that From as I said, like I think having another option would be nice, and I think because the problem is Eddie and Ketty kind of has a similar frame and style, so it's like, well, where's the plan B? Can we finally have a plan B, please, to actually score goals when we need them? And I mean, I was listening to a podcast the other day and it was saying, well, if we've got all these five subs, will we start seeing people try and punt on a big man at the end to try and score Nick a winner because you have that extra sub to do? Um, and I suppose I would have, someone like a Scamacca, I mean, I don't, I don't know how good he actually is, but if West Ham are signing him for 30 odd million, we could have afforded that. We would have been more of a draw. So I don't quite understand that, but maybe Arsenal didn't fancy him. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if there's some sort of different profile coming in, especially if we get Pepe out the door, Nelson might leave. Um, let's see. Let's see. I don't know. But yeah, I think I agree with you in principle. I would have liked I listen I would have loved nothing more than to get um, who were we originally linked with, maybe not DCL nowadays, but a, like a yeah, like a Blaichch type or a I don't even know who's out there. Not Higuain, but just someone who, like, you look at and you're like, that's a striker. Uh, Because sometimes everyone's like, well, just... Darwin Nunes. Darwin Nunes. Yes, that's the one. That that should have been the guy. And I reckon we might have got him if we were in the Champions League, albeit against Liverpool, probably not. But, I don't know, I think we would have been slightly more in the mixer. Um, If we were comfortable in the season, we might have actually been able to stake a claim early and and get something like that deal done over the line. But what's done is done. But I hope I hope there's just something, someone with goals in them, extra bit of goals. Um, I don't really know who we're linked. I mean, or, or if we if we were that linked to Rafinha, then they clearly got their eye on someone. What that is, what that actually looks like at the end, I don't know. I mean, I mean, throwing it back to you because really, with Richardson, I kind of feel the same thing. I mean, at least it's a better option alternative to Kane than you've had ever. But he is still. Um, inconsistent attitude sometimes suspect um, he' really fits the spurs profile to be honest um, while I'm kind of on the topic I'd love to just pick it your your transfers Forster can't even get into Southampton's team Spence you only signed him because he had one good half against Arsenal and overpriced for a championship player uh, Perisic is old even Conte loaned him out so didn't couldn't raise him that much and Basuma is no longer the player he was. But anyway, Richarlison, um, yeah, I just feel like I don't really know where he plays. I don't get it, because I see a Spurs front line of Son Kane and Kulazewski. Lucas Moore has been thrown into the bin, uh, the disrespect for your biggest club legend ever. Bergwijn, uh, Stevie Wonder, they all loved him. Again, thrown thrown onto the heap, the pile. Brian Hill, the next big big thing, nowhere to be seen. Um a bit confusing for me. I understand strength and depth, but I think for that money, it is an absolute rip-off. I really do. I think he's not a prolific goal scorer. He's not really fast. He's not really skillful. He's a very good player and he has that attitude, that bite that that probably is... It, it seems more like winning bites, but actually the guy doesn't... hasn't won things on club level. So I don't know. Yeah, because he think, I think... played for Everton and Watford. Well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's Yeah, my... and playing
0: playing for Everton... Last season, he scored more than Jesus did for City. Jesus was playing for the champions. Richardson was playing for a team that almost ended up in the championship.
1: It it depends what you're looking for. So I think you're looking for goals to supplement Kane. We're looking, yes, we are looking for goals to bring someone in. But I don't know what Richardson does. I don't know him as a style. I don't get him. And if it hasn't really worked out at Everton, mm, well, for that, it's more for that money. If he was 30 million, I'd be like brilliant. But for 30, for sixty million is a joke. I think it has worked
0: out. Everton, he was their best player. He's the reason why they're still playing Premier League football. The, what happened in general at Everton is not because of Richarlison. He, if anything, made them a lot better than they would have been without them. And I think he, I mean, he starts ahead of Jesus for Brazil. So clearly, Brazilians rate him over Jesus. And like I said, he asked, so I think what Richarlison and look, as you said, he what he's bringing us. He's not coming in to start for us. He's coming in to provide a genuine ready-made alternative for Kane and Son, the fact that you could actually... 60 million bench fodder. Well, I mean, look, and he's only 25 years old, so he could potentially grow into being the successor to either of those two players. But the fact of the matter is, um, and look, Jesus, if he had come to us, would have been bench fodder, by the way. So, I mean, I think it says (laughs) something, that Jesus, somebody who is your main man, would be bench fodder at Tottenham. Um, Where even was that? Anyway, yeah, Richard... I appreciate winning ability. The guy has won four trophies. Yeah, because he happened to play for City. He's not bringing the trophies with him.
1: You don't get four Premier Leagues, now you've signed Hazius. You get the intangibles, um, you get the mindset, you get that killer of instinct, that ability to say, you know what, it's the 89th minute, we're up against it, but I'm going to help this team. because I've. When did Hazius ever score those kind of goals for City? I don't know, but he's seen it, he's been there, he's been on that pitch.
0: Anyway, um, and just to address the other things, Forster is a sub-goalkeeper, so whatever, Spence, best, um, best uh, right back in the, the Championship last season. Uh, it's, he's not. it wasn't just off that back of one game against Arsenal he was literally the best right back in the Championship last season um, what are the other ones you mentioned Perisic, oh. uh, yeah, best left wing back in Europe last season, Conte loaned him out his first season at Inter but then his second season at Inter when he won the league Perisic was an integral part of that oh, team
1: I'm to Andy Robertson sorry? <laughs> best, best left wing back in Europe round to
0: Andy Robertson or Cancelo yeah Andy Robertson's not the best left wing back in Europe I'm parasitors. Well, he's certainly up there. I mean look at the stat, Andy Roberts, okay, yeah, Liverpool, great team, all the rest of it, but they didn't win the Champions League. They didn't win the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> what? I just, I
1: can't deal with
0: it. it what you're doing be, there is, is Premier be the League bias because, because you, you don't watch any lot. football outside of the Premier League. You think eggs can't, players, be. The he can't must be. be the best in the world.
1: He's like, he has been. What well, It's, it's, it's like saying David Luiz the year before he came to us was the best centre-back in Europe. I don't think anyone
0: was saying that because he was always a little bit all over the place. And actually, funnily enough, David Luiz played his best football for Antonio Conte. Um, but I, what, so you think paris is rubbish then? Is that what you're saying? I don't, I don't think he's rubbish. Think it's well, you best. talk like he's rubbish. So what? what is it
1: then? I just think it's... I think if he was that good, he wouldn't have gone to Spurs. Why not? Because I think there are better clubs than Spurs that could have got him. Such as? Manchester City.
0: Oh, yeah, true. But, Manchester I mean, already, they're already well-stocked in that position. Man- didn't need Manchester United. United. Yeah, but why would you go to Manchester United? They're not in the Champions League. They're a big club. Are they? <laughs> Up, not, not in Champions League I'll tell you why he came to Tottenham because we're in the Champions League and we're managed by Antonio Conte who he won a title with just a couple of seasons ago
1: it's hilarious though because come November we'll be like oh we're no longer in Champions League we've dropped down to the Europa League oh we need to get out of here well, drop, well, get, well just go win the
0: Europa League we'll beat Arsenal probably in the final. you'll bottle it again just like you bottled bowled top four <laughs>
1: allergies to trophies you know it's a, another season gone by i mean anyway I, this has been completely I can, derailed I can, I
0: can, <laughs> you think this person has okay, may, me maybe here. i was being a bit hyperbolic when i said the best left-wing back in europe but he's definitely one of the best left-wing backs in europe i could probably i could probably agree with that i don't I think, think, he's, think he's, he's a million miles away from being the best and i think you know to completely uh, just write him off because he's old I think is just
1: ridiculous. He's not quite Alex Sinchenko, but he, he, he used to be a good player. Well, I mean, Basuma I, 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 as well. Has he has he been that good recently? I think Brian... Okay, let, let's get one thing
0: clear. Arsenal were desperate to sign Basuma. And if you had signed Basuma, you'd be absolutely raving about it. And I think, to be honest, if we're both being honest, this is the main thing with transfers in the summer. If we had signed all the players Arsenal had signed and you had signed all the players we'd signed you'd be going on about what a great window you'd had and what a terrible window we'd had, and vice versa. I, to be honest, I don't think there's much between. Like, for instance, when we're talking about Hades and Richarlison, is there really much between them? Is there really yeah. much between... of four Premier League titles. Yeah. Yes, because hey, this is what's so stupid about all this trophy nonsense. Because if Richarlison had been playing for City, he would have had four Premier League titles as well. doesn't change anything about him. he wasn't, because he wasn't good it. enough to play for City. So you're set, what? So uh, you could make the same argument about anyone. Oh, uh, Harry Kane wasn't good enough to play. City wanted Harry Kane, and he didn't go there, but you're saying, ergo, Harry Kane's uh, that Jesus is a better striker than Harry Kane because Jesus happened to win four Premier League titles because he was at City and Harry Kane wasn't. Mm. You see how silly it is when you,
1: you break it down It's like different, different. Therefore, he's a better player. In, in terms it's a team of. A, it's not tennis. Yeah. In terms of how prolific they are, though, Richarlison and Jesus were probably about the same, but. Richarlene was starting, uh, just starting for the biggest club in the world. He wasn't, though, was he? He was the backup striker for a team he that had the backup no strikers striker. at the
0: time. He wasn't the backup striker. He didn't. They, last he season, everybody said about season. City, they always used the, the phrase without a recognised striker when talking about City last season. Everyone did. They said, oh, they've done. Even Kevin De Bruyne, I think, said it once, which says how they rated him. He said something about, oh, to do this without a striker. Everyone Just
1: not a striker City. doesn't mean he doesn't do a striker's job. Cesc Fabregas played false nine, which is a striker once. Okay, but you need him to do. You need. I don't. I don't.
0: Anyway, <laughs> I don't even know where we are. <laughs> My brain is uh, all over the place. Um, yeah, but he clearly doesn't do a striker's job, does he? Because he doesn't score ele- goals.
1: But the game has changed. It's not all no. about you know, like a striker. Is that why City have why signed think, Harland like, and Liverpool have signed Nunes? Yeah, but as in, you can have different approaches to the same job, as well. Yeah, but a striker's job is to score goals
0: at the end of the day, and Jesus doesn't do it.
1: It's it's to 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 uh, not necessarily score the goals to to make goals happen. That's a midfielder's job. No, that, the the midfielder's job is to, is the bridge between the defense and the forward line. But then you could start So, a striker's job to is what, to make goals rather than score goals? It's it's to get goals in the net. How they do that, I don't care. As long as the goals are going in. Yeah, but the striker, offers, by or definition, scores goals. They... What you're talking about is, is a creative attacking midfield player. This is getting very niche now because then you have different types of creative attacking players. <laughs> you might be able to argue that you could put a creative attacking player in the very front of the pitch. Does that make him a striker? Well, I don't know. It depends if they score goals or not. Jesus doesn't score goals,
0: so. I mean he does score he has scored
1: goals he only, He's only scored three more He's than, than in He
0: He scored 4-1 game like a few games before the game. yeah games. and that was 50% of his goals last season
1: doesn't matter goals are goals <laughs> the guys won Premier League titles you can't dispute that compared yeah, to the Charlestons so what
0: because he played for City if he, yes it doesn't make it. it doesn't change him as a player
1: it does He's has been player for it well, it yeah, makes him a great it, player because he was part of the team that did that the sum of its parts it's lovely <laughs> look i mean
0: again i'm not saying haagos is a bad player of course, of course he's a good player you don't get to play for where i think the city point is valid is of course you don't get to be a part of that team and play for pep if you've not got something about you but it's a question of whether what he's got is useful for you because what you need is goals and it's all very well him playing in that way when there's all that talent around him at city but he won't be in as good a team at arsenal so is that not then a concern that if he's not being prolific at city then what's he going to be like at arsenal Mm. but you might get more chances
1: because probably some of the City players who are that good are probably a little bit more selfish as well that's probably that's fair point yeah but let's be honest Eddie Nketi is the best striker in the world so we, don't, we might not even need to rely on Jesus well that's true always bulked up this summer he was the best young striker in, uh, in England uh, at the end of last season statistically as well under 23s, no one scored more goals. So um, well, I've just got my thing about strikes and goals there. So Eddie, go back go back to bed, Eddie.
0: Um, it was interesting. You mentioned the Crystal Palace game, and I guess looking at the sort of opening fixtures, um, how do you feel about Arsenal's round fixtures? Because using the uh, the trusty FPL um fixture difficulty uh ticker, all of Arsenal's kind of opening fixtures kind of most of them are in green, mm. um, which means kind of easy on paper. Obviously, we know it doesn't work out that way. But how do you kind of feel, I guess, about that that opening run? Because I, I feel that you should be picking up a lot of points at the start of the season. It wouldn't surprise me if come kind of September or October, even if Arsenal are ahead of Spurs looking at, at that run of games you've got. Do you think if, if you are going to finish top... I know you said about kind of slow and steady, but do you think if you are going to finish top four this season... You kind of need to get off to a, a good start? I mean, you certainly can't afford to get off to as
1: bad a start as you did last season. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Depends on what else, what's happening with everyone else. I think the best, the biggest part of the season will be this kind of differentiation between your World Cup teams. Would you rather have your players not go to the World Cup and be training and calming down, but then have be a bit rusty come January? Or do the big teams want all their players to go Try and win the World Cup and be really um, oiled up and ready to just continue the season. And that will be interesting to see whether if everyone burns out and the big teams who go to the World Cup, all the small teams might have a chance of n- nicking points off. So it might not necessarily be based on those early games. But yeah, of course you want to hit the ground running. And I mean that fright that is just such we, we've just seen it. That's such a slippery slope game with Palace with the Vieira factor and and you know they don't seem to have been decimated. I don't think they've signed that well. And then Leicester should... They look, they just sound awful. I mean, hopefully they're finished. And Bournemouth away. Again, hard, tricky. Fulham at home should be fine. Villa at home. It should be fine. On paper. But the league isn't uh, contested on paper. I think there's a really easy fixture on Saturday 1st of October. Um, home to Tottenham Hotspur. So that will be fine. <laughs> and, then, uh, and probably struggle the week later after Liverpool. But um, I'm, I'm I, th- I think we'll be all right. I think we'll be all right. It just feels it just feels different this time, but I'm sure that will become its own meme um, once we lose to Palace and uh, draw to Leicester. But I, I haven't really looked at Spurs fixtures. I just know there are a couple of big teams in there, and uh, I'm sure they'll win those and then lose against the small teams. And uh, Conte will moan that he hasn't had enough money from signings. Um, so same old cycle probably.
0: Um, before before I talk about the fixtures, I've I've looked up. So this is um, who scored dot com, which our uh, kind of a football statistics website. Anyway, they had their their top rated fullbacks slash wing backs last season. So this is including left and right. Mm. Um I thought it'd be interesting to look up given the, the Perisic Robertson conversation because uh, Perisic has an average rating of seven point two two, Andy Robertson seven point two three. Yeah. So it's, um the the, the top uh, rated fullbacks was Trent Alexander Arnold Cancelo, Alfonso Davies, Rhys James, Robertson Perisic. Interesting. Um, there you go. So he's definitely up there. He's up there. He's not the best. Also, no, he's a very I should have said A statistic. rather than V, but the point's not mean, so He was the, the best
1: I mean, in the Serie A. I'm pretty sure if you were doing the ratings, you would have put it as 9.9 every week. And the point one was just to not live bias.
0: Um, in terms of fixtures, um, I think we've got a really difficult start to the season, actually. We've got, um, in fact, I think our first four games, we lost the corresponding fixtures last season. So we've got Southampton at home on the opening day, which you'd think we should win, but we lost Southampton at home last season. Uh, Then we're away at Chelsea, which we always lose. Then we're at home to Wolves, which again, on paper, you'd say should be an easy win, but we lost at home to Wolves last season. And then I think we're away to... Well, either away to Nottingham Forest or away to West Ham, or it's kind of two away games in a row. I think that might be the Way opening North- five. So yeah,
1: away to Forest, away to West Ham.
0: Yeah, so you've got three away games in the opening five fixtures, two of which are big London derbies. I mean, West Ham and Chelsea see us as their biggest rivals, and then away to a newly promoted side. That will be what Nottingham Forest's second home game of, of back in the Premier League, probably their first against the Big Six. I mean, Arsenal know from last season with Brentford it's probably the worst time to play. newly promoted side let alone away from home so yeah you look at the Southampton Wolves games and say okay those should be wins but then those away games I think are are really tough which is why I said I think Arsenal will be ahead of Spurs in the first stretch of the season because I do think you have an easy opening run of fixtures and I think you do need to be looking to take as many points as you can if you want to be finishing in, in the top four particularly given kind of where you fell short last season and I think uh But but in a way, I'm glad that we've got a a tough start. Those are the sort of games you kind of want to get out of the way early, sort of Mm. away at Chelsea, away at West Ham. I think even we've got a a lot of away games against uh, kind of big six sides kind of early in the season. I mean, you mentioned, I think we're we're away, aren't we, at the Emirates 1st of October? You are. Uh, So it's, it's a hard start to the season, but I feel like we might be better off for that, particularly, as you said, with the World Cup, element to it and how that might affect play as if the second half of the season we've kind of already got away trips to the likes of Chelsea, West Ham and Arsenal out of the way um that could potentially benefit us going down the line but it might mean at the start of the season we're kind of playing catch up but maybe who knows that's a better position to be in but I feel like it's a very tough start and it wouldn't surprise me if um if we uh have a, maybe even a few defeats there but on the flip side if we win some of those games and you know, if you beat Chelsea away in the second game and the way Chelsea are looking at the moment kind of not necessarily sure which sort of Chelsea are going to turn up this season then it, it could go the other way that gives you huge kind of confidence and belief if you feel like well we've had you know we've got these results from these difficult games but um, I think I don't know it's hard to really read too much into preseason. I remember the best preseason, season Spurs ever had was under one day Ramos when I think we beat Roma five one in our last preseason game. Everything was looking rosy, and then we had the two points from eight games start. So uh, we think Chelsea might be in crisis now, but they could turn it around come the opening day. And and Spurs and Arsenal, who I feel like both feel positive about their business and have had good preseason results, yeah. we could. But you know, you could lose to Palace, we could lose Southampton at home, and then all of a sudden things are looking very different. So I think um, it's always hard to predict these things, but I definitely think you have a, a kind of run of
1: opening fixtures than we do. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. That's what I was thinking about. We we kind of have a very clear perspective of our own teams and we kind of have our own views on our rival teams. But there are other clubs around us that we don't really know what's going on, what the tone is and what the the nuanced context is. And, you know, clubs like Liverpool and Chelsea and United, they might be feeling very confident. A lot of United friends I know feel really confident that they've kind of recaptured the form of Martial and Rashford and uh, it'll be hilarious when it doesn't go well, but um, you never know. And also clubs like West Ham, they build upon it every year. So it'll be interesting to see um, what happens. I actually had, I thought it'd be quite fun to, uh, while we're on the topics of of predictions, whether we could uh, put our flags in the sand and and share with each other on a, on a, on a macro level, who we think our, our top four will be, including title winners and who you think might get relegated from the league. And then from your club, who you think will be your star of the season? Who will be your young player or kind of one to watch or breakthrough player to watch? And who might be or what might be the biggest risk for your season? Okay. Um. Let's uh, let's start with the big ones. Titles, top four, who do you think is in there? It's hard to look beyond Man
0: City for the title. Um, Haaland joining, it kind of feels like... I mean, you never know. He might not settle straight away. He might have injury problems. And I do actually find it strange that City are getting rid of so many players considering the five subs mm-hmm. is coming in. I would have thought the likes of Sterling, Jesus, Zinchenko, they'd want to hold on to. Maybe they're yeah. running down their strength in depth at a time when that's what you need the most. But I still think... It, it they've set such um, superhuman levels of consistency as a result of the spending that they've done. It's it's hard to see beyond them. Similarly, Liverpool, you kind of feel like they'll finish second. I mean, Mane will be a big, big loss to them. I know they've brought in Nunes and Diaz in January, but I still feel like Mane underrated in a way, really, because of Salah. But Mane just is important to them. And obviously Salah's signed the contract, but sometimes players can can decline after that. And I mean... That quadruple chase last season has got taken a lot out of them physically, mentally. It's not been a big break between the seasons. They and they played so many matches last season it could catch up with them. But I think City and Liverpool top two, then I'm gonna say uh I'm gonna be I'm gonna say Tottenham third. Uh we have been the we were the third best, third best team in the league from Conte's arrival, uh which is just a fact. Very niche. Um, and we've strengthened the squad, and we've had... The way I see it, if we finished fourth last season when we had Nuno for the first three months, uh, you'd hope and expect us to improve and and hopefully go at least one better. And then I'm going to shock you, Jason, by saying Arsenal fourth. Not because um, of any admiration or appreciation for anything you've done, but mainly because I have my doubts about United and Chelsea. And I feel like it'd be easy for us to fall into the trap of thinking it's an either or, either Spurs or Arsenal finish in the top four because it came down to us for fourth last season. But what if this is a season where we both finish in the top four? Even though I've kind of questioned your business, particularly, Jesus, Arsenal have clearly strengthened this summer. Chelsea, there's question marks, lost a lot of important players. United, the way the Ronaldo saga... Is still up in the air. If he ends up staying, that could derail them. Ten Hag never managed outside of Holland. So I'm gonna be generous and say fourth for Arsenal, even though I think you have a lot of work to do, because I think fifth flattered you massively last season. I think you were much further away from from Champions League than it seemed like. Um but I feel like you might be saved by United and Chelsea uh being in kind of sort of states of of transition. So that's what I'm gonna go for, for title and top four.
1: Interesting. I mean, you're very kind because I'm not going to be as kind. I I had City and Liverpool in the same order as you. I actually still think Chelsea are going to have enough quality and then manager's good enough um, to get them in third. Uh, get fourth, them in fourth, I reckon, ahead of Arsenal maybe. Fourth place in Arsenal is Arsenal. Uh, fifth place is United, and sixth place is Spurs or what? probably lower because really? I just, I just have a feeling they're going to implode Spurs, and it's all going to go. Exactly how we all think of Conte, Moody Conte. I don't think he'll be the manager at the end of the season. I don't think Kane and Son will will last the season in terms of their fitness. And, uh, yeah. You genuinely
0: think we're going to finish sixth?
1: Not necessarily. I
0: I don't think we'll finish inside the top four. Okay, I'm going to revise my predictions. I'm going to put Chelsea fourth, (laughs) United fifth and Arsenal sixth. Fine. That's fine with me.
1: You were kind, though. I appreciate the kindness. I was trying to create unity in Canon and Cockrell, but no more. <laughs> oh no, that's not fun. That's not fun. We'll do that in March when uh, when some some days days uh, is, is is solidified. Um, in terms of relegation, I mean, it's yes, it's anyone's guess. Do you have any any strong feelings?
0: Everton, Brentford, Bournemouth.
1: Wow, I forgot about Brentford. Everton, just... Brentford, Bournemouth. Wow.
0: I feel like Everton are, they've lost their best player in Charleston and they've they have only brought in, who did they bring in? Was it Tarkovsky on a, on a free? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, but they haven't strengthened at all. They were pretty lucky to stay up last season. I don't rate Lampard as a manager. They've had a dreadful preseason. Lampard's already kind of throwing them under the bus. Um, Brentford, I worry about just because they were actually on a bit of a downward slide before Ericsson came in and Ericsson kind of saved them and, and made them stay up comfortably. But I think if he hadn't come in, they would have been dragged into trouble and obviously they don't have him anymore. Um, so I'd worry about them kind of potentially second season syndrome. You know, you see teams go up, they surprise people, but now everyone knows what to expect from Brentford. So maybe they'll, they'll struggle. Um, Bournemouth, I mean, you Bournemouth, you always look at the newly promoted sides. And I feel like Nottingham Forest, I think Steve Cooper is a good manager and they've made a lot of signings. I think they'll be OK. Fulham, I think, have a lot of goals in them. I don't know how many goals Bournemouth have in them. The, the other one is potentially Leeds. Yeah. Thinking about it, they, they were like Everton close to going down last season and, and question marks over how much they've improved. Obviously losing players like Rafinha and Calvin Phillips. So maybe now thinking about it, maybe Leeds instead of Everton because I think if Everton get in trouble, they'll just do what they always do nowadays and sack manager and bring another <laughs> in. Um, so yeah, maybe Leeds, Brentford, Bournemouth, but I feel like Everton could be in the mix again.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I was looking at the table and whilst we've always said the Premier League's getting stronger, I I kind of think there's um, a space opening again, almost like a two-tiered Premier League because. I had originally Bournemouth, Leeds and Forest down, but then I forgot about Brentford and I think they really could be in trouble. Um, Everton as well, as you say. I think Leicester, Southampton and Brighton could be in, in, in trouble as well. Wow. I just think Leicester have not, they're just losing, I think they're just going to lose all their players and not building anything and they've kind of, they're kind of going into the abyss. I mean, they've got a good manager. I just feel like I don't know where they're going. Schmeichel's older. The centre, the defence was rubbish last year. Madison's probably going to Spurs. I don't know. Vardy's finished, but they're not really replacing him still. Southampton have nothing, and Brighton, again, you know what? I mean, it's Gray and Potter factor, but where are they going? They could just be in the risk in the in the mid. It, it could be a risk. So that's, I've written basically eight teams there that could get relegated, and I haven't even touched on Fulham. So. I don't know. I don't know what you think, because I think you've got that top six who are miles better than everyone else collectively.
0: Yeah, I definitely think Leicester are, are, are drifting now. I mean, do you remember it wasn't long ago they could have qualified for the Champions League and mm. everyone was saying, oh, we need to consider Leicester as one of the big six now. But I guess now you're seeing why they're not one of the big six. Um, but I, I feel like they'll have enough to be safe. I feel I just feel like they'll kind of be sort of mid table. Um, but I do get what you say. I guess the kind of wild card here is the, the Newcastle factor. Um, they pulled themselves out of relegation trouble and and were kind of... The way they finished the season, I mean, it's it's interesting. They haven't had the summer, perhaps, that people would have expected of Newcastle when the ownership happened. But in a way, that kind of worries me more because it seems like they're being quite sensible and they're not just getting seduced by kind of big money signings and they're not mm-hmm. sort of rushing things. But they could be knocking on the door of the top six if they keep up their form from last season. Um I think Southampton is one where you could I, I can see that them them being sucked into trouble. Brighton I think will be fine just because I think Graham Potter is such a good manager. Um and they've never really been properly in the relegation battle since he's been there. There's always been a stage of the season where it looks like they're about to get sucked into it and then they always kind of pull their way out. Um I don't know. I mean and then there's clubs like Aston Villa, kind of where you mm-hmm. know, where are they going now with Gerrard in? Are they gonna push for the top six the way they want to? Or they they'll probably just be round mid-table, I expect.
1: Yeah. Palace and Wolves as well,
0: just kind of mid-table mediocrity. Yeah, West Ham, I mean, they were pushing last season. Yeah. Uh are they gonna keep on building? I mean, like they've made some interesting signings. They could be and you know, that's the thing. It's gonna be very competitive this season for for Top four. I know you said there's kind of this clear gap between top six and the rest, but I, and and that's why I don't mean to keep on banging this drum, but why I do feel it was such a huge missed opportunity last season for Arsenal, and why I think Arteta did deserve a lot of criticism because it was really open for you last season with everything that was going on. And I feel like this season, you know, you're going you're going to have that Thursday night football. United. The, okay, let's see how well Ten Hag does, but you you might expect them to be better than they were last season. We've we've gone and spent. Newcastle are going to be better than they were at least than they were in the first half of the season. Uh, obviously we know how good City and Liverpool are. I feel like it's going to be even though you've made a lot of signings harder for you this season than it was last season and if you fell short last season then potential worries this year because even though those teams we've been talking about might not be competing at the end of the season for kind of Champions League qualification at top 6. We know that in the Premier League on their day, kind of anyone can beat anyone. And I still feel like even though we might be sort of almost writing off teams like Villa or or Leicester or Brighton, I mean, our our club's no better than anyone. that You you can lose to those teams uh, quite a lot. So I don't know. I feel like, yeah, on the one hand, there is a clear gap in quality between the top teams and the rest. But I feel like at the same time, the league is also becoming more competitive, if that makes sense. I don't know. I just feel like... Mm -hmm at least the top four positions The if if the, the top six teams next season could be stronger than they were last season in amongst themselves and that in of itself will make it tougher at the top than maybe it was last season
1: mm. yeah i get i get that and i think we could uh, we can end up saying you know what forget the league just go in the europa league which is a risky strategy but it is a risky strategy I i'd rather win uh, i mean rather when europa league and come 10th than come fourth to that trophy
0: Well, I guess now the Europa League has Champions League qualification. It's sort of... uh, But I I feel like that's the the Europa League trap almost. That's what West Ham did. Mm. And you wonder if West Ham had focused on the league instead where they might have finished. Because I feel like you always instinctively, for the reasons you just said, prioritise the Europa League because of that lure of a trophy and because it's sort of fewer games. And you feel like, oh, yeah, we can do that. But then it's knockout football. Anything can happen. And then if you've thrown your league form away...
1: You can't really then, you know, sort of claw that that lost time back. So It's funny, they played their full lineup against us lost and then were too tired for their for their game. But I thought Le Grove said you never got to play any teams
0: uh, after big European matches.
1: I don't know who Le Grove is. Um, <laughs> let's start pessimistically here. Who what is the biggest risk for your risk for your season?
0: Uh Romero I think about this earlier actually, Romero getting injured. Now, he did miss a lot of games last season, actually, and we ended up being OK. But I do still worry that in defence, we're a couple of injuries away from having a bit of trouble in that position. We brought in Longley on loan, um, and that's right. really it for the centre-back positions. And I just feel like if Dio or Romero are injured, I'd I'd worry about the the strength and depth there. So that's where I'm I'm still a little bit worried and what I think could be... Could be an
1: issue. It's interesting because I always thought you were going to sign another. Well, Lingley, I suppose, is supposed to be that star signing. I think there was that guy Bastoni that you were linked with, and I wonder whether that might be, you know, whether that is the late the last twist in Spurs' trance tale. Whether they they go and find another centre back to compete um, for that strength and depth. I mean, my my one is funny enough the opposite almost, not about injured players, but more kind of um, persisting with players that shouldn't be in the team. So I can't believe we're going into another season with Granite Shaka probably starting. And it is this old guard that's kind of hovering around still. And I guess there are reserve players and holding and Pepe and Cedric and but just Shaka, I just I, I think I think genuinely it's still risk because, you know, if you do the same things over and over again and expect different results, you're not going to be lucky. And I just think we need to move him on. Or we need to move on from him as the starter, um, but on to more positive things. Who is the young or breakthrough player that you would uh, you think is going to have a good season and, and break into that team and, and be a bit of a staple for um, for Spurs and, and 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 kind of highlighted in Premier League?
0: I guess the obvious answer would be someone like Jed Spence, mm. but I guess looking at players who are sort of already were already here before this summer. I feel like this could be a big season for either Skip or Sessignon. Obviously, we were talking a lot about Perisic earlier, as we know, the best left-wing back in in Europe. Um, But I feel like Sessignon, he improved a lot under Conte last season. And I feel like if he can learn from Perisic and add uh, kind of a bit more ruthlessness to his game when he's in those attacking positions, then he could really sort of break through um, and make that that left wing-back position his own, despite, or, but maybe also in part because of uh, the presence of Perisic. And with Skip, I feel like Skip was actually on track to have to have had a real breakout season last season, but it got disrupted by injury. Uh, a lot of people might not fancy his chances up against likes of Bentoncore and Basuma and Hoybia, but uh, Conte rates Skip really highly. And I think if Skip can stay injury-free, he could become a, a very big, important part of uh, that Spurs team and perhaps have the, the sort of season he was robbed of last season so I'd say
1: Skip and Sessignon are maybe the two to keep an eye on mm. it's funny on your fullback side how uh, um, Royale and Reguillon or whatever you know they lasted long <laughs> <laughs> in Spurs folklore it was just interesting don't know big hype but then uh, I don't think there was much hype about Royale to be fair Region there was uh, oh, I don't know. I, I, I saw some serious uh, fan, fan fanning. Some serious fanning. <laughs> some serious earning. Um, it won't surprise you who I think is going to be the young player to watch or breakthrough is is the great William Saliba, best centre back, young centre back in Europe. Um, had How Messi, Neymar, uh, twenty three or something. Had Messi, Neymar, and uh, Mbappe in his back pocket um, last season and. Uh, back he'll be starting and he's going to you know shore up our defense and uh, luckily we're not going to lose big money on him as well I just have this feeling you know he looks the part um, and it's exciting it's like Wenger would say it's like a new signing you know you're, you're it's like we've spent 35 40 million on a defender without even having to put the money down so uh, that for me is the thing and, and, and and star for the season, who do you think? Who do you think is going to be the the talisman for Tottenham Hotspur next year? I think we could be in for a
0: big uh, season from Kane. If you consider that last season, he was basically on strike for the first few months of the season. He's looking really fit, really sharp, uh, motivated. You can tell, just like he was under Mourinho, energised by the presence of someone like Conte. And I think he'll want to sort of particularly in a World Cup year for England as well. And I think with the likes of Haaland and Nunes coming to the league, I feel like he's just going to want to be out to prove a point. And I feel like he could, um, yeah, just have a really, really big season. It's kind of the obvious easy answer, but I feel like uh, if if we have Kane firing for an extra few months more than we did last season, then that's a pretty big, uh, difference already, which could see us kind of improve upon last season's position and points table.
1: He'll worry be stealing balls off uh, his fellow teammates and get to Alan Shearer's record because um, he knows he ain't winning trophies at Spurs. So, uh, yeah, I, I wish him all the best and all the luck this season, as usual. I'm sure I'll be poking holes at him throughout the season um, in true canon cockerel style. Um, my style for the season might surprise you. I think it's going to be captain. Martin Odegaard.
0: Interesting. I don't get the captaincy there. What? Why is he captain?
1: He is the Norway captain over Harlem, which is quite interesting. Um, I think he's just an Arteta disciple. They get along well. He's kind of that kind of understated. He's like a very nice guy, quite serious for his age, respected in the middle of the park. Starts every game, leads by example. Great player. Just seems like a safe. Option as well. I just think it's he's just worn the armband. It just feels natural. It's kind of a different form of captain. You know, the, the obvious choice would have been someone like Gabriel, a bit loud, burly centre back. Um, I don't know. Everyone just seems to feel like almost to be resigned to it. They've accepted it. He just feels like a real model pro in the in the form of Fabregas and Arteta in terms of his his presence. Um, and you know, Arteta, he's one of Arteta's guys he brought him in and I mean he never wanted a Bamio as captain I believe I think it was more he didn't want to ruffle the feathers when he came in but when he had the excuse to get rid of him last season I guess we'll find out the real reasons and all or nothing it made sense for Odegaard um I put my um my podcasting career on the line by saying my minimum for the season is getting into the Champions League so that's uh fourth place and up or winning the Europa League will you be doing the same for me what will you what would you say is the is the minimum for Conte to achieve with this Spurs um, young and old uh, team for the future
0: Um, I think minimum should be uh, top four again as well we got into it last season as I said having had a much worse start. You know, We've had a full Conte preseason now, a full uh, summer window. We should be better than, than last season. If we finish fourth in 71 points, having gone through the whole Nuno debacle, then there's no reason why we shouldn't improve upon that this year. So I'd say minimum top four, but ideally I think we should be targeting top three because, as I said, since Conte came in, we were the third best team. I think we should be looking to usurp Chelsea. And obviously you always want to win a trophy as well. Whether we will or not, ultimately it comes down to luck of the draw that's the thing with competitions like the FA Cup and Carabao Cup and Champions League it depends I mean particularly with the domestic cups it depends how seriously the likes of City and Liverpool take it it depends who you get drawn against knockout football anything can happen but over the course of the game league season I think we should definitely be aiming to improve upon last season considering as I said we'll have had a proper pre-season a proper summer and the backing that we've had I mean if we finished on what 71 points last season you only have to turn three of those defeats into victories and then you're in the 80 plus point mark which I mean in, in the days before City and Liverpool made it that you basically had to get 100 points to win the league normally if you were getting between 80 and 90 points that would put you in the the title conversation those days are kind of gone now but I think certainly uh top four should be our minimum as well considering we we got it last season and I'm, I'm glad that you now do have, I personally I think it should have been a minimum for you last season but uh I'm glad you've now finally put those expectations. And I mean, you kind of already said this, but do you think now, because I read yesterday um, Arsenal have spent more than anyone else in Europe and you were big spenders last summer as well. Do you think if last season wasn't make or break for Arteta, do you think this season is? I mean, you've kind of already said it is, but do you think he will be under serious pressure if he
1: he fails to, to finish in the top four? I think there'll be questions from board level. I'd be surprised if they they let him get away with it if it was a total disaster. I think if it was very unlucky, I think he'd be all right. Um, it's hard to say because there's context between these things, you know I, I i I do believe that if you look, you know when managers are given a chance, their clubs are better off for it. You don't really see you know even Burnley, they'd kept the faith, kept the faith, kept the faith. I mean we're not Burnley. And he got rid of him and then they went down um, with Sean Dyche. So, you know, I think having the faith in your in the guy you've picked to 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 have a little bit of pressure lifted off is good. But yeah, eventually something's got to click because it won't be acceptable for us to not take the next step, especially when spending all that money. So I think he'll be all right this season unless we finish mid-table and go out in all the cups. Um, I think as long as we are in the European spaces now, and we're competing, whatever that really looks like. I think we'll be all right. So, the uh, if, if he
0: if he gets another fifth place finish, then the, the mediocrity will be allowed to continue.
1: That, that's good to hear. Well, I guess it's better than um, our manager walking out midway through the season when he uh, when he decides he's fed up of um, not competing for trophies.
0: We shall see. It will all be revealed. Uh, we'll see uh we'll see what happens i think one thing though we've all learned today and can all agree on is that Ivan Perisic is the world's greatest uh left wing back ever
1: time to uh time to have a a drink to commence the season i think based on that note